to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll continue our uh, series in counterculture Christianity, our study of 1 Corinthians, allowing God's word to transform the way we think about culture, his word, and what we do and practice as a church. I've entitled the, the message this morning, A Victorious Mystery, A Victorious Mystery. And Paul really writes this monumental chapter to affirm the the resurrection that the cultural skeptics of his day were denying. You remember the, the Greek philosophers of the day, the culture around the church there in Corinth, were constantly teaching, and it was accepted at that time, in this uh, Greek uh, dualism, this idea of a uh, uh, the moral body um, being uh, uh, something that would, that would go away, and the spiritual body being something that would last. Uh, one was sinful, the, the physical body, whereas the spirit was not. And this false teaching caused a lot of confusion. There were some Christians there in Corinth that inevitably um, and obviously had accepted this teaching. So Paul, here he is writing to them, and he tries to get them to understand what he had already taught them before, what they have already known. And so by way of reminder, if you look back over 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let me just walk you through some of the things that Paul has already been telling He's already been teaching. We've studied together, and these things are familiar to you. First off, in this beautiful chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, we see that Paul began by presenting the primary physical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. And that primary physical evidence was the very person of Jesus. It was him, himself. And then he spoke of the importance of the resurrection by looking at the consequences if there was no resurrection. And so we looked at those consequences, and it helps us to understand the, um, the awful reality of a heretical view of there being no bodily resurrection of Jesus. Then next, Paul showed the order of God's redemptive resurrection plan. God has a perfect plan and a perfect order for these things, and he showed that to us in that chapter. And then he showed us how the reality of the resurrection provides motivation for living right now. There is a great motivation in the reality of the resurrection for right now for believers. And then finally, our last time together, just this last week, we looked at characteristics of a resurrected body by considering a number of helpful analogies. We looked to the seed, we looked at the flesh of animals, and we looked at the celestial and the planets and the stars and the things in the outer universe, and we see these things. So in understanding the characteristics of the resurrected bodies, that the Lord is going to trans- the body, our bodies, the Lord is going to transform um, at the resurrection, at the return, and the rapture. As we look at these things, there's great, tremendous encouragement, even for today and the things that we face now. So now we come to a glorious, victorious uh, climax in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this victorious climax is, is, is concerning the subject of the resurrection of those who are in Christ Jesus. 
The whole theme of this chapter is victory. The whole premise behind this this chapter is all about victory. And there is victory in Christ. There is triumph. To uh, There, there is um, uh, joy in understanding what victory really even means. Victory is to uh, triumph. Victory is to conquer. Victory is to vanquish. Victory is to win. And it's difficult to, uh, for one to talk truly about victory in Christ without joy filling our hearts. I trust that's your heart this morning as well. Jesus Christ is the victory, the victor over sin. He himself has conquered sin. And this passage teaches, uh, it teaches us about the victorious Christian life. So look with me, verses 50 through 58 in our text this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, and see the various realities of victory through Christ in the present Christian life. Verse 50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. We see here, firstly, that there is victory over flesh and blood. We're going to look at a number of different aspects of victory, different areas of victory. And the first is victory over flesh and blood. We looked a little bit last time about this reality and we need to understand that no human body is presently, right now, prepared for heaven. There's a change that needs to take place. Our present bodies, which are subject to decay and disease, are not suited for life in heaven, where there is no corruption. There is no corruption in heaven. And so these bodies that are not yet prepared must undergo a change. And this raises a question. How can the bodies of the living Christians be suited for life in heaven? And the answer comes in the form of a mystery. So we see in verse 51, Paul writes, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So in verse 51, we see victory for living at the rapture. We spent a great deal of time earlier in the chapter, in verse 15, looking at the resurrection of those in Christ that have died before the rapture has taken place, which the rapture has not taken place yet. It's coming. It's imminent. His return is imminent. And so those that have gone before us in death will be resurrected to life and receive a glorified body. So, what do we do with those who are living? If the Lord were to return right now, those in Christ who have not yet died physically, how how are they going to be transformed? What is to happen to them and their bodies? And so, Paul refers to this as a mystery. And a mystery is a truth which man cannot understand in his own but must be revealed to him, must be revealed by God. Often, it is a truth not spoken about in the Old Testament, but is revealed in the New Testament. When we find the word mystery in the Scripture, 
the reference oftentimes is spoken of in those terms. And so the mystery here in our text this morning is that not all Christians will die physically. At the time of the Lord's return, whenever that may be, there will be Christians still living at that time. And at the rapture of the church, living Christians will be changed instantaneously as they are caught up to meet Christ in the air. So, those living bodies will not be resurrected, but will be transformed. Those who have died will be resurrected and transformed, and those who are living will be transformed. Paul described this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. <clears throat> if you want to look there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. Verses 13 through 18 is a tremendous um, section of Scripture where Paul gives some detail on the sudden coming of the Lord. And what will take place and what that will be like. But we're going to zoom in and look just at verse 17 where Paul writes, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Notice that. The first line there, verse 17 says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so, this sort of victory will be unique. It'll be a unique victory for, the Christ, for Christians that are living at the rapture because they will not have to face the last enemy, which is death. You realize that? It's almost like some Christians get a, get a better deal there. They don't have to experience death, but they will be transformed as they're <clears throat> taken up to be with the Lord. At the rapture. So we see victory over flesh and blood in verse 50. We, in verse 51, you notice victory for the living at the rapture. But there's much more. There's more victory. We see, thirdly, victory for the dead at the rapture. So again, Paul revisits the topic of those who have died before us. And so we see in verses 52 and 53, Paul writes, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. We see the transformation of the living Christians and the resurrection of the dead in Christ will happen instantaneously. I can remember as a young boy, my dad had a, I believe it was a red oak tree, beautiful little oak tree. And it was oh so small, not much more than maybe 14 inches tall. And it was a beautiful little tree and he planted it at a certain place on our property. And we began to watch that tree grow. And some of you are more familiar with your plants and the time it takes for trees to grow. And so you are fully aware that that particular type of oak tree does not grow very fast. 
And I can remember over the years watching and waiting for this beautiful little tree to grow. And it would grow just a little bit, a little bit at a time. It didn't grow very tall before we moved away from there years later. And I often think about that little tree and how large it's gotten. But when we consider the change that we would see in the growth of a little oak tree, like what I was telling you about, and compared to the change and the transformation from our bodies as they are for those who are still living and those who are dead to the glorified bodies that the Lord is going to prepare and make for us in the future, the transformation is instantaneous. This is the effect that Paul is writing for here when he speaks of these things. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, Notice the, um, he uses a little bit, he uses another metaphor here at the last trump. And I know that there's a number of, of uh, um, debatable arguments, theologians, commentators, and others that would maybe um, use this passage as a, as a way to speak of a pre-tribulational rapture or, um, or vice versa. But I, I really think what Paul is using here when he's speaking of this is a metaphor that the Romans were very familiar with. Someone else has, has written this. I find this very helpful, and, and this is what I, um, I think will help you as well. Paul is using a common metaphor of the day at the last trump. The blast of the trumpet, one says, was common to the Roman world because it was heard frequently in the Roman army. When a Roman camp was to break up, whether in the middle of night or day, a trumpet was sounded. The first blast meant strike tents and prepare to depart. The second blast meant fall into line. And the last trumpet meant march away. You know, the last trump is referencing the end of the church age at the rapture. When Christ returns for the church, that, is, that marks the end of the current age we are in, the church age. Christian, there is a day coming when all the living and dead Christians will be called up and, and, and caught away to be with the Lord forever. That day is certain. That day is coming. It is promised by a perfect, holy, almighty God. Because of Jesus Christ and our faith in him, the accomplished work on the cross, that is a tremendous hope and a mighty victory for each and every one of us as Christians. Once our once corruptible bodies will become incorruptible. That will certainly be victory over sin and death. Oh, that will be a wonderful day, won't it? Fourthly, we see in verses 54 and 55, we see victory over death. Do you see how much victory there is in this passage? The victory over all these things, over flesh and blood, over the, the, the victory for the living, the victory for the dead. And then we see victory over death even itself. And so we look at verse 54. It says, so, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, 
Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? You know, when Christians, when we Christians get our brand new bodies, we will fulfill at that time the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 8. Where in the Old Testament scripture says, He shall swallow up death in victory. You see, death held a grip over the Old Testament saints for thousands of years, but that will all come to an end at at the rapture. At that time, death will become a conquered and defeated enemy. No more to hold grip on those who have died. This is our hope as Christians. Christians have a victory over death. For the Christian, death has no spiritual sting. It is conquered. And in verse 55, Paul quotes from Hosea 13, 14, which says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. This means here, what Paul is communicating to us and the reality that Scripture is teaching us here is that this means death can have no ultimate victory over Christians. Do you know that? As a Christian, there is no ultimate death and, 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 and control over life for Christians. For the Christian, the sting of physical death is only for a moment. Then it is face to face with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, we see also... Fourthly, in verses 56 and 57, Paul continues on with this victorious uh, uh, chapter in 1 Corinthians. In verses uh, 56 and 57, he says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If it were not for sin... We wouldn't die. But sin is a reality in this world. This is what makes death sting. In fact, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 reminds us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it is for this reason we cannot escape death. Death is stings and we cannot escape it because of sin there is death and so there are many who are fearful of death because they know beyond death is a settling of an of the account before god the account of the things that we have done all the things that we've thought all the things we've said all the things that we've done whether anyone else has seen or not all of the things that we were supposed to do and did not do, all of these things will be laid out before God in his final judgment. And I think there are many that are fearful of death because of that knowledge of that coming judgment. And sin 
must and will be accounted for by a holy God. And those who are not born again will face the wrath of an angry, righteous, holy God who always, in his loving kindness and in his holiness, always punishes sin. But while Christians face the physical sting of death because of sin, they will never face the spiritual sting. Because Jesus Christ has has given them victory, has given us victory through his death on the cross for our sin. I'm reminded of telling my boys and my children, teaching them about insects and here living in the southwest in Arizona, we find scorpions once in a while. You know, there are other insects that sting. Maybe not as bad as a scorpion, but there are some insects that when they sting, the stinger stays in the flesh. And the insect that did the stinging goes off and dies without that stinger. I find that very closely relating to and illustrating the reality of the sting of sin in this life in our flesh. Just like that sting was, aha, I got you, and it hurts, and it's a reality, and it's in our flesh now, this flesh will not last. And because of salvation, because of the resurrection to new life, because of the transformation of those who are still living, that flesh that sin thinks it's got a hold of dies and is over with and it will be transformed into new life. That sin will not last. It will also one day die and be forever put away. Christ has broken the power of sin for any and all who repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their personal salvation. Because Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ, the Christian does not have to fear death as a dreaded enemy. There is no virus. There is nothing that any man can do to me. There is no form of death that is greater than what comes after death. Death could maybe be perceived, I think probably rightly, as maybe just a ticket to new life for the Christian. Victory for serving Christ now is seen in verse 58. And so as we kind of bring this chapter to a close here, we see this great chapter filled with victory. Victory through Jesus Christ for the dead and for the living and victory over death. And now finally, victory for serving Christ right now. I don't know your heart. I don't know what you're experiencing right now and what you are facing right now. But God does. And God, because of the victory through Jesus Christ, provides us with victory for serving Christ right now. Look at verse 58, and you'll notice with me the very first word there in that passage, therefore. Therefore indicates to us to to look and see why it is therefore. 
What has come before it? What has led up to get to this point? Everything he's about to say after this word in verse 58 is because of what he has said and taught us in the preceding verses. So, in a sense, what Paul is writing here is in light, <coughs> excuse me, in light of the certainty of the resurrection and the fact that faith in Christ is not in vain, Paul encourages the Corinthian Christians and all Christians to stand firm. To stand firm. They were to manifest a, a doctrinal stability and purity in specific regard to the truth concerning the bodily resurrection. Why? Because they had been accepting the godless teaching of the present-day unsaved Greek cultural teaching that denied the resurrection. In the face of this false teaching, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Christians are here encouraged to remain faithful in the ministry, to persevere. God's word is calling you, Christian, to stick with it, to hang on and to continue on, to remain faithful in serving the Lord now, even in the face of difficulty, of trials, of circumstances outside our control. Remain faithful in the work of the Lord. Christians were to let nothing move them, even in the face of opposition. They were to be always giving themselves to the work of the Lord. For we are reminded our labor is not in vain. Christians should work to the point of exhaustion. If you notice the word there, labor, it brings with it the idea of sweat and pain and strenuous activity. By this time, you're probably pulling back and saying, if this is what ministry is about, I'm out. <laughs> no. Ministry is a wonderful thing, and the Lord supplies strength. The Lord provides um, the fortitude. He provides us with the grace needed to continue to be faithful in the face of opposition, in the face of difficulty and trials. They were to always be giving themselves to the work of the Lord. For we are reminded our labor is not in vain. Christians should work to the point of exhaustion. There's a, there's a quote uh, that I am reminded of. It goes this way. We may get weary in ministry, but we must never get weary of ministry. You may be tired. You may be weary. But dear Christian, I pray that by God's grace, you will not become weary of ministry. With this counter-culture, biblical perspective, Christians have, Christians can know victory in the service of our Lord right now. 
<laughs> Look at verse, or chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Because of what is said here, because of the reality of Christ's resurrection and the gospel, because of our resurrection, those who have died before us and those who are living at the Lord's return, because of these things, we can continue on in the hope that is before us. You know, Christ died to defeat sin and death. And by his resurrection, victory is won. Christ is the victor. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I wonder if you haven't, if you would do that right now. So that you might know the joy. That you might experience the victory over sin and death. You know, Christians, I know there is much difficulty um, to face in this life. Some of you are currently facing great amounts of difficulty in your personal life or even in a public life situation. Some of you are facing difficulties that won't compare to the difficulties you may face yet in the future in serving Christ in this life now. And in troubling times, it can be difficult to keep our, our eyes fixed on Jesus. This I know, and the Lord knows better than me, better than you. So, in the face of these difficult times, we cling to passages like 1 Corinthians 15, and we see the reality of the future hope that we have. But I was also reminded of an account just recently, listening to a podcast just several days ago, and in preparation for uh, this day here, Sunday, now, I was reminded of Andrew Murray. Murray. And in 1985, or excuse me, in 1895, Andrew was suffering from a painful back that resulted from an injury years before. One morning, while eating breakfast in his room, his hostess told him that a woman was in great trouble and wanted to know if he had any advice for her. Murray handed her a paper he had been writing on and said, Just give her this advice. I'm writing down for myself. It may be that she will find it helpful. And this is what he had written on that piece of paper. In time of trouble, say first, God brought me here. It is by his will I am in, his, in this straight place. In that I will rest. Next, he will keep me in his love and give me grace in this trial to behave as his child. Then, say, he, that's our Lord, will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. And lastly, say this, in his good time, he can bring me out again. How and when, he knows. And so this is what was handed to that lady, the hostess, take to the lady that was in pain. And I wonder if this would be something that you and I might also be able to echo as Christians, placing our full faith, reliance, and trust on Jesus Christ. Casting all our cares upon him because of the reality 
of Christ's resurrection and what that provides. Say this, I am here by God's appointment in his keeping under his training and for his time. Everything is within the scope of our God's sovereign control. And it is for his glory and for our good. Father in heaven, thank you for this tremendous passage in scripture. Speaking of the victory over death. The victory over the sting of death and sin. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, thank you for salvation as provided by him alone. There is no other way but through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I think now of our congregation or any others that may be viewing this this morning. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them. And that you too would remind them that their trust, their hope comes from you. Lord, give us strength for this time now especially. And help each one cling to the truths of scriptures as we have heard them. I pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.